You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Paul's one of those guys you read about and you read about his life and you want to be like him, but you're so convicted because you go to Acts chapter 20, he's on his way to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's warning him everywhere he goes, more suffering is in store for him, but he's going anyway. He's stopping at these churches that he's planted along the way. Christians are being told by the Holy Spirit, bad things are going to happen to this guy when he gets to Jerusalem, and they're trying to talk him out of going. But he says, hey, I count my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the task. He's given me to testify to the gospel of God's grace through Jesus. As Pastor Danny continues his teaching series through the book of Zechariah, he'll be challenging you to live boldly for the Lord and to preach the gospel with confidence. The early church was faced with persecution and death if they were caught preaching the gospel and making disciples. In our Western society, the most that can happen is you might get made fun of or ridiculed. There will be a time when persecution will hit all over the world and the real faithful Christians will be left standing. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Zechariah chapter 2 as he continues his message, Zechariah part 2, Patience and Endurance. He says, I've betrayed innocent blood. They say, what is that to us? And he takes the 30 pieces of silver and he throws them into the house of the Lord, the temple. The Jewish leadership picked up every piece of those 30 pieces of silver. They said, we can't put it into the temple treasury. It's blood money. And so they took the money and they bought the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. There's a point to all this. Zechariah 11 describes what it was like when Jesus first came. The challenges he faced. He loved them. Despite how much he loved them, they are marked for slaughter. He's come to die for them. He's betrayed by one of his own. He's ultimately crucified. It speaks of that time, but it also speaks of the future time of what Israel will be like just prior to his second coming. Let me summarize it this way. Here's what you have in the Bible over and over and over and over again. He's coming. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. Thousand-year reign is going to get better and better and better. These are glorious, glorious promises. And they're really going to happen. Jesus really is coming. Jesus really will rule and reign from Jerusalem. But there are painful realities between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. 
Zechariah chapter 13 describes the time just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Israel, verse 8, the whole land, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver. Revelation describes this time. It's known as the great tribulation. And one of the things that God will do in the great tribulation is purge the nation of Israel, and finally their eyes will be opened. They will recognize that Jesus is indeed their Messiah. And the whole nation in one day will be saved, at least those who are left. Two-thirds will perish in the great tribulation. It'll be an awful time. And those who put their faith in Christ, here's what John writes in Revelation chapter 14, that those who are putting their faith in Jesus during that awful time known as the great tribulation, it will require patient endurance, patient endurance, even for those seven years, even for that seemingly short time. Jesus said time is going to be so awful then that nobody would be saved if the time wasn't cut short. Patient endurance. They ask me every week, what's the title of your message? They want to put it in the bulletin. Sometimes I don't have a title yet. I don't have a title. I haven't been working. I'm studying. And this past week, they wanted to know. On Thursday, on Thursday, they want to know, what's the title of your message? I said, ask me Friday. And finally, you want to know the title? There it is, Patient Endurance. I don't like it. My wife said after last service, said you were preaching to yourself. Patient endurance. Patient. I don't like that because it involves time. I don't, like, I don't like waiting for anything. I don't like waiting for anything. Endurance, that involves pain. And there are some wonderful promises in the Scripture, and these are general, general promises. Oh, anybody who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. <laughs> Isn't that a great promise? And then Paul writes in Philippians. He tells us, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So if you're worth your salt in your faith, there's going to be a cost. But here's what I find when I read Zechariah. There are some general things that we're all going to go through, and we don't know exactly how that's going to work out. But we know, we know from these scriptures. But sometimes God tells somebody more specifically. He gives them a personally prophetic look at what they're going to face. Here's what John, the gospel writer, tells us uh, that Jesus knew about what it was ahead. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out and he asked him, who is it you want? He's talking about when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd been praying, and then the, the, the Jewish leaders come. Uh, they come to arrest Jesus, and Jesus knows what's going on, and he knows what's going to go on. Now, you imagine you're Jesus, and these guys are coming to arrest you, and you're going to suffer like you've never suffered before, and you're going to be put on a Roman cross, and you're going to come out and say, who are you guys looking for? I mean, humanly, you'd be like, I'm out of here. I'm to the next town over. 
But he knows. He knows Zechariah chapter 11. He knew that Judas was a devil from the beginning. He knew all of his closest disciples would desert him. On the final Passover meal, you go back and read it, and Jesus prophesies to them based on prophecy already given. He says, tonight all you guys are going to desert me. They go, no, we're not. Oh, yeah, you will. And he quotes Zechariah 13, 7. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And despite their denial, it happened. (laughs) He knew everything that was going to happen. And yet he goes out. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, he experienced what's called hematidrosis. It's a rare but very real condition when someone is under extreme physical or emotional stress. It's when the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing the sweat glands to exude blood. And the Bible tells us there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat drops of blood. That's the kind of anxiety he was feeling. That's the stress he was under. But that was not the only time he felt that kind of anxiety, that kind of sorrow. Verse in Hebrews tells us that Jesus in his earthly life, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Mark tells us he often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed. And what you don't see him exhibit in public, what went on in private. Isaiah tells us he was a man of sorrows. He was familiar with suffering. For the joy set before him, he endured. He endured even the cross. There's some fascinating passages. Not only Jesus, but there are some saints in the Scriptures, and I don't have time to turn to all of them. I'm just going to give you a couple of references. You can write them down. John chapter 21, after the resurrection, Jesus has breakfast there with Peter and his closest disciples on the beach. Peter, after he had denied just a short time before that he even knew Jesus, and uh, sitting there, He says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And Peter's hurt the third time, you know, and you know I love you, Lord. After breakfast, they're taking a walk on the beach. John the Apostle's following behind them. And it says there that in John 21, as they're walking along the beach, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, when you were young, you dressed the way you wanted to dress and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, they're going to dress you a way that you don't want to dress and they're going to lead you where you do not want to go. And it says that Jesus said this, indicating the kind of death that Peter would die to glorify God. Story has it that Peter was crucified, and he asked his crucifiers to put him upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die right side up. It was 40 years after Jesus' word to him there on the beach. 40 years. 40 years, he knew. 40 years, he had to think about, it's going to be an awful end. And every day he had to decide, is he going to continue to be committed? We continue to be a follower of Jesus Christ, knowing what it's going to cost him ultimately. I don't know about you. I I don't know if I want to know ahead of time what's going to happen. But he told Peter, 
Of course, I love what Peter says. With John walking behind him, well, if that's what's for me, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. And then Peter went out and started a rumor that John is not going to have to die. They're just as imperfect as we are. You can write down Acts chapter 9, verse 16. Saul of Tarsus on his way to persecute more Christians there in Damascus. He meets Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He gets gloriously saved. God sends a man to him, Ananias, because he's blind physically, but he can see spiritually. Ananias comes to him, and one of the first things that is communicated to Saul of Tarsus, who would become one of the greatest apostles, the apostle Paul, God says, I will show him how much he must suffer. From my name. Told him ahead of time. Paul's one of those guys you read about and you read about his life and you want to be like him, but you're so convicted because you go to Acts chapter 20, he's on his way to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's warning him everywhere he goes, more suffering is in store for him, but he's going anyway. He's stopping at these churches that he's planted along the way. Christians are being told by the Holy Spirit, bad things are going to happen to this guy when he gets to Jerusalem, and they're trying to talk him out of going, but he says, hey, I count my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the task he's given me to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Jesus. Prophet comes down. Agabus, the prophet, takes Paul's belt, ties himself with it, says, so will the owner of this belt be tied in Jerusalem. Paul says, I don't care. I'm going anyway. He's the guy that gets inspired by the Holy Spirit to write some scriptures that are just incredible like this one. (laughs) He says, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. He writes some of these famous verses in the book of Romans, Romans 8, verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then right after that, he gives you that famous one, verse 28. All things work together for the good of those called according to his purpose. You know how he ends Romans 8? Well, if you don't, you're about to. Listen to what he says at the end. I mean, it's just amazing how he gets inspired to write these things. In Romans chapter 8, as he closes it out, verse 35, here's what he says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I'm convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, whether height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. In summary, he's saying, come hell or high water, we're winners. (laughs) And I read that. And I preach that. And a little bit of the Pentecostal guy that showed up here last week shows up again in these verses, and I'm just going, go get him, Paul. I want to be like you. And I read those verses, and I get encouraged. And I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that Paul the Apostle is not the only saint recorded for us in the Scriptures, because if he was, I'd be like, I can never live up to that. I'm challenged by it. I'm encouraged by it, but I don't always live up to it. That's why I like going back to places like Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah, another great prophet, but boy, boy, he goes to God and he says, "Uh, Lord, you're righteous, but I got a problem with your justice. 
And he begins to complain to God about how he sees the wicked prospering and people like him are suffering. You think that one encounter with God settled it? You go to Jeremiah chapter 20, he complains again. And now his complaint gets more personal because things continue to go bad in his own personal life and his ministry. And so he goes to God and he says, you deceived me when you called me into this. Look what's happened. Doesn't seem very fair. You go to places like Habakkuk, that little prophetic book, but filled with such practical meaning. And Habakkuk complains to God. Same kind of thing. God, why are you letting the wicked prosper and we're praying to you and you don't seem to be doing anything about all the injustice and the things going on? And God says, I'm about to do something. Oh, yeah, what are you going to do? I'm going to bring the Babylonians. I don't agree with that. That's what Habakkuk says. You're going to use the Babylonians and let them come down and wreak havoc? But one of my favorite, one of my favorite as a pastor, and thanks for staying because it's just just for me, Numbers chapter 11, the great Charlton Heston, Moses in Numbers chapter 11, listen to what he says, as God gives him all these people to lead, and he says, Verse 14, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. Patient endurance. Don't answer out loud, but how you doing? Life has lots of challenges. There are the general challenges that all of us will face as followers of Jesus Christ. And those who would live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. But then there are those personal things that God has in your path, Peter, that He doesn't necessarily have in John's path. As I studied for the message, I reminisced a little bit. In 43 years, 43 years since I knelt in my front yard there in South Carolina and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. What were the challenges in those 43 years? Some of them are my own making, my own making. Some of my own, my own personal mistakes. But here's the wonderful thing again about God. For those who know Him and for those who really hear His voice, the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. The wicked fall into calamity. Here's the great thing about God. If you really know him, you may fall, but you get back up. You may get off the path, but you get back on the path. And the wonderful thing about God, he's so gracious, and he wants to restore and He wants to rebuild. And He wants to renew. And He wants to give hope. Listen, listen. At every stage of life. I've accepted that now, after 35 years, I think it is, of pastoral ministry, that my ministry predominantly, predominantly, not, not completely, but predominantly, is to seniors. Thank you. Here's looking at you, kid. 
My wife's the reader in the family. If I ever get a good book, she steals it and reads it before I can. She told me about this one a while back. It's by former evangelist Billy Graham. It's entitled, Nearing Home. From Billy Graham, I hope you'll receive some encouragement. I never thought I would live to be this old. All my life I was taught how to die as a Christian, but no one ever taught me how I ought to live in the years before I die. I wish they had because I'm an old man now. And believe me, it's not easy. Whoever first said it was right, old age is not for sissies. Get any group of older people together and I can almost guarantee what their favorite topic of conversation will be. Their latest aches and pains. I know it won't be long before God calls me home to heaven. When he wrote this, he was 93 years old. God called him home on February 21st, 2018 at age 99. More than ever, I look forward to that day, not just because of the wonders I know heaven holds in store for me and for every believer, but because I know that finally... All the burdens and sorrows that press down upon me at this stage of life will be over. During the last year, the physical ailments common to old age really have taken their toll on me. I also look forward to that day because I'll be reunited with Ruth, my beloved wife and best friend for almost 64 years, who went home in 2007 to be with the Lord she loved and served so faithfully. Although I rejoice that her struggles with weakness and pain have all come to an end, I still feel as if a part of me has been ripped out. And I miss her more than I ever could have imagined. How can we face the future with hope instead of despair? These are some of the questions I've been forced to deal with as I've grown older. Perhaps the same is true of you as well. This book, however, isn't written just for old people. It is written for people at every stage of life, even those who have never thought much about growing older. The reason is simple. The best way to meet the challenges of old age is to prepare for them now before they arrive. I asked Peter Lord not too long ago, what it's like growing old. You know what he said? I think Solomon nailed it back there in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I don't know if you're familiar with the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, but they tie in with Billy Graham's encouragement to all of us at every stage in every age, before he begins in chapter 12 to describe some of the characteristics of older age physically, he opens this way. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them.
Pastor Denny has been walking you through several books of Scripture in a study called Gleanings from the Old Testament. He's been highlighting important stories and characters, demonstrating how they fit in God's kingdom plans. These people you've been meeting didn't have the benefit of the entire Bible to live from. They didn't know Jesus personally. They only had the promise of salvation to come. In fact, many of the people you'll continue to learn about had to trust God to fulfill the promises that He had made to them, even though they wouldn't be fully realized even in their lifetime. God continues to make promises today to you and to other faithful followers. Those things may be fulfilled while you're still alive, but it's possible that the promise is something for the future, something that you have a part in but won't see fully until you're with Him in heaven. Today, be courageous, stand firm in what the Lord has told you, and follow Him faithfully anyway. You have a part to play in God's kingdom plan, so walk it out with confidence with your Creator. We're so glad that you joined us today on The Living Word. We'd like to pray for you during this study. Would you send us an email and let us know how we can do that? Connect with us at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. That's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Danny next time to continue studying in the Old Testament right here on The Living Word.